Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July 30th, 2013. It's going to be August, like in a couple of days. That means the fall is just around the corner. Cooler weather, football, yeah. Obviously, I have too much time on my hands. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to look at what Scripture says in context. You'll find, again, I cannot overemphasize this. The vast majority, 90-something percent, I mean, it's really the huge majority of those who are twisting the Bible, you can detect it just by applying the three sound rules or the three primary rules of sound biblical exegesis. Context, context, context. Take that verse, put it back in its context, and presto, blamo, you understand what Scripture is teaching. There's a lot of people out there who uh, claim to be teaching something about the God of the Bible, um, claim to be teaching something about Jesus, claim to be giving you a biblical teaching, and that claim falls flat. In fact, it can't even hold up to scrutiny as soon as you compare what Scripture says to what the pastor is saying, or pastrix. Um, and so, this, oh man, I cannot overemphasize this. Cannot overemphasize it. Get into your Bible and read it in context, and uh, the vast majority of the Bible twists that are going on will evaporate. Now, that being the case, there is there is a group of uh, Bible twists or false teaching that goes on uh, that is really slick because... Uh, the person who's on the stage, uh, and that's probably uh, the right way of describing it, um, is claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God. God's speaking to them. And so they claim to be preaching and teaching to you the Word of God, but they're not preaching and teaching you the Word of God. What they're preaching and teaching to you is uh, what they 
claim is a direct revelation they're receiving from God. And you can always tell a bad tree by its fruit. And what I mean by that and what Jesus meant by that from the Sermon on the Mount is doctrine. Okay, False teachers will always uh, do a very good job of putting on the pretense of good works. Okay, And what I mean by that is, is that you know th- these are people who might give to the poor, might have you know, some kind of a foundation set up where they're taking care of orphans in Haiti and things like that. Uh, that's that's to cover their tracks. So, you know, th- listen, anybody can be good to other human beings. You know, listen, you know, th- there's even pagans out there that treat their neighbors kindly. That's not that is not the test as to what whether or not they're a good good tree bearing good fruit or a bad tree bearing fr- bad fruit. The, that that test is reserved to their doctrine. And so when somebody is holding to, believing, teaching, and confessing false doctrine, is twisting God's word, and claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God, well, you know that they're not receiving direct revelation from God, that they are a false teacher, a false prophet, and somebody who is to be avoided, to be marked as somebody to be avoided like the plague, and to be warned about, you can always tell based on their message. So... What we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, this this is one of those programs where uh, it's going to feel, from your point of view, like we're taking a whole bunch of disparate things and you know, kind of like the proverbial oatmeal and just throwing it against the wall to see what sticks. I assure you, that's not what's going on. It just this is you know, as I look how this program came together and the different segments that we're going to be covering. Um, you know, it just, it's going to feel kind of herky jerky. Um, you know, know, we're going to start with one thing and then we're going to turn left to go this way and then we're going to go that way. And each, each segment today, uh, will, uh, contain somebody who's taking verses out of context or claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God, which are, you know, kind of the more common ways in which false teachers operate. But, you know, again, you're going to, you're going to spot them based upon their doctrine. So um, let's talk about what we're going to be discussing today. Um, Kong Hee um, is uh, making the news, uh, thanks to the uh, folks who live down there in the, uh, uh, you know, in South Pacific, the Pacific Rim. Uh, you know, uh, what, what are they, I forget the actual term for it. Aust, uh, Australasia, something like that. Um, you know, down in Australia, Singapore, New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, New Guinea, uh, that you know that that re- that region down there. Um, there's several just very faithful listeners down in uh, not several we we have a lot of them, but uh, several of the listeners that we have down there are very faithful to keep me apprised as to what's happening uh, down there with the false teachers in that part of the world. And uh, Kong He has uh, <clears throat> made the. Uh, the news, he's upset some folks. Uh, uh, recent comments that he made, um, which appeared in a sermon, uh, and then the video was posted on YouTube, where he is claiming that God is apologizing to him. Yeah, God is apologizing to Kong He for the, the trials and tribulation that Kong He is going through. And keep in mind, Kong He, um, he's on trial for um, misappropriating gazillions i mean it's a huge like 23 you know million dollars singapore uh, singaporean million dollar oh it's just this huge amount of money that uh, he mismanaged from uh, city harvest church 
At least that's what the allegations are. And he's on trial for this. And so it, this is, you listen to this and you think, whoa, there's something really, really off here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears. And we've, you know, again, like I said, they're going to feel herky-jerky today. We're going to do a, a an XP media update. And we're going to be listening to a, a gal by the name of Jane Hammond from the Christian International Ministries. And um, she's going to be talking about a direct revelation she got from God regarding destroying the spirit of robbery. And uh, the reason I'm playing this one is is that this is a kind of a standard template. If you're familiar with many charismatic circles, uh, you know, within those so-called charismatic circles, this is kind of a standard template for how uh, people are claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God. And it's complete gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything. And uh, and then we will... <clears throat> Take a break when we come back uh, from the break. We're going to kind of do an extended Matt Sorger um, update. Matt Sorger is a, a guy who's uh, also uh, got a channel at xpmedia.com. And we'll start with a commercial of his and then and then ease into, if you want to call it that, kind of a review of uh, a teaching that he did about what he calls living in the glory. And, and, you, and this, oh, weird. And uh, <clears throat> you, you, I can't even explain it. You're just going to have to <clears throat> stay tuned and kind of write it out. And then um, in hour number two, we are going to uh, be reviewing a sermon from a church we have never reviewed before. Uh, the name of the church is Element Church. Element Church. And uh, this is um, probably one – how do I put this? This is one of the most obnoxious sermons I have heard. Now um, – We've reviewed Ed Young sermons, Ed Young of uh, Fellowship Church out in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I remember we we did a sermon review of his where he was, you know, talking about animals. And um, it was during, you know, the springtime and he had brought animals like a lion in or a camel or whatever. And then did a preaching sermon, you know, kind of based on wild animals. And during that sermon, he was making these really, really distracting and obnoxious animal sounds. Well, th- this pastor we're going to be listening to, first time we've uh, ever li- uh, reviewed anything from him, <clears throat> he, it's kind of in that same vein. And this, to me, doesn't even sound like a sermon. It sounds more like um, a stand-up comedian trying to give a marriage counseling uh, group therapy class. And Hey, it's yeah. So um, the the best thing I can tell you to do here on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, like I always said, make yourself comfortable. I mean, your your listener experience here at Fighting for the Faith is actually very important to me. And uh, and that being the case, you know, if you want to enhance your listener experience, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. But I feel like because of what it is we're going to be hearing today. Um, is so kind of like over the top strange. Uh, this is a weird episode. Um, I need to do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. 
drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is uh, the Pet Shop Boys. This is some of our money-grubbing televangelist update music that we use here from time to time here at Fighting for the Faith. Pet Shop Boys, let's make lots of money. Uh, so that's our Kong Hee update music for today. Um, Kong Hee um, has, uh, well, um, sent off a firestorm of, well, upsetness. That's, I know that's just so <laughs> not the greatest way of putting it, but that's probably a, a correct description of what has happened down there uh, in Singapore. And he made comments in a recent sermon that just has people really upset, and uh, and I'm going to play it for you. Uh, and in this uh, in this segment of a sermon, you're going to hear him say that God apologized to Kong He. Now, again, this is the man whose wife spent a gazillion dollars in Hollywood trying to work on her uh, secular music career. Um, and uh, we've covered that here at Fighting for the Faith. You can look it up in the archives. But uh, here's Kang Hee, and listen carefully to what he recently said. Remember, he's on trial for mismanaging church funds, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars. Here we go. And say, my son, I'm so sorry. Do you need to go through this alone? Now, he, he here is talking about Jesus. Um apparently you know this is the father's apology to jesus before his crucifixion listen but you need to die and you need to go through this to be the savior of the world and god the father heartbroken and he wept as he turned his face when his son took the sin of the whole world i was saying all these and I'm hearing myself behind the pulpit. And I froze. 
I couldn't utter another word. And I sobbed. And I shook. Because those were my exact sentiments. Father, Father, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh huh. Um, yeah, now here's the difference. Um, Jesus is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the sinless Son of God. Okay? And so God lays on him the iniquity of us all. So here, Kung, he is likening um, the trial that he is currently in the middle of. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, him potentially going to prison for a long time if it's found that he's guilty of of mismanaging and embezzling these church uh, funds to the, you know, again, you know, twenty, thirty million uh, in uh, <clears throat> in Singaporean uh, dollars here. Um, and he's liking what he's going through to Jesus's crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus was innocent. Kong, he now, if he's found guilty, this is going to be, well, rather awkward. Uh, the reason why is because Jesus didn't actually commit any sins, but God placed on him the, our sins. Kong, he, if he's found guilty, well, then he's guilty of, you know, criminal mismanagement of funds. Um, and he is rightly being prosecuted for his crime. So um, there's, let's just put it this way, there's a marked difference. And what I already know of the case, I mean, to say that there's, you know, financial funny business that went on, you know, that's, well, an understatement. We continue. And threw me to the docks. And for the first time in eight months, I heard the voice it is not the voice of a strict, angry judge. Okay, so he's now claiming that he's heard the voice of God in the first time in eight months. They only want me to perform and build a big church and nothing I do is ever good enough for him. No, it's a weird thing to say. A strict, angry judge who only demands that I build him a big church. Um, what are you talking about? Not a voice of an angry judge. It's not... The voice of a slave driver that just wants to take and take and wring me dry. But it was the voice of a tender, loving, broken-hearted father. Uh-huh. Wow, this guy has so much in common with Jesus, the way he's telling this story. Weird, huh? For the first time in eight months, God, I heard him cry. And he said, my son, come. Thank you. Thank you for going through this. I need you to go through this alone. Uh, um, okay, this is getting really bad. Um, this guy is delusional. Really, beyond self-deceive. I mean, this might be d- demonic deception that we're dealing with here. So that you and City Harvest Church can be the man and the ministry I call it to be. Uh, it's going to be tough to do if they find you guilty and you're in prison. I'm so sorry. Okay, now I got to back this up. What you just heard there, I'm so sorry. That's according to Kong. He's he heard this voice from the Father. God the Father is apologizing here to Kong. He. 
again, weird. Listen. To be. I'm so sorry. But you need to go through this by yourself. To bring a change to your generation. Oh, yeah. Wow. So just like Jesus had to go through the cross all by himself in order to be the savior of the world, Kong He must go through this trial by himself in order to bring change to a new generation. Yep. Um, This guy is flat out deceived and deceiving. And this is actually rather sad and pathetic. And the reason why I say that is because even now, even now, Kong He can confess his sin, repent, and be forgiven. Even now, that's exactly what he could do. But rather than do that, we have him pretending like he's hearing the voice of the Father, apologizing to him for the trial that he's going through, but not to worry. There's a there's kind of a silver lining in the, in the storm of the trial, and that is, is that God the Father intends for Kong He to go through all of this so that Kong He can be the instrument by which God cr- brings change to the next generation. Not only this is this shallow, not only this, I mean, it's vapid. It's just ridiculous. I mean, this doesn't mean anything. The sad part about this is, is that this shows that he is truly self-deceived, doesn't know what the gospel is, and doesn't understand the mercy of God won for him on the cross. Even now, he could come clean, repent, and be forgiven. But that's not what he's doing. Instead, we got this dog and pony show where he's claiming to be receiving direct revelations from God the Father, the result of which is supposed to you know, be him going through this suffering alone so that God can bring change to the next generation. So, in other words, Kong He is, thinks of himself as kind of like the Messiah for the next generation. And the suffering he is going through is very much in the same kind of ballpark as the suffering that Jesus went through. Oh, come on, give the Lord a big hand tonight. I hear God saying for the first time in eight months, I love you. I love you. I love you. Waves upon waves of God's love. The love of the Father just saturated me. All I could say was, Abba, 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 Daddy, Abba. And so this is uh, Kong He crying out like he's Jesus on the cross. Father. I knew everything was going to be all right. Yeah. Now, this, by the way, the video footage here looks like it's from uh, last year's Presence Conference. But, uh, it, again, it you know, this story, you know, these statements, you know, as the trial's going on and things he's said uh, in light of the trial are beginning to surface on the Internet and people are paying attention to it, it's creating all kinds of controversy. So uh, thanks to the folks living down in uh, Southern uh, Pacific Rim area, thank you for uh, bringing this to our attention and the controversy and, um, man, um, this is, again, if you really think about the implications of what he's saying, it's, it's not only sick, 
it's actually tragic and sad. We're seeing a sinner implode under the weight of his own sin. And rather than repent and be forgiven, no, he's claiming to be receiving direct visions from God and God apologizing to him for the cross that he's having to bear in order that he can be the means by which change for the next generation can come about. Yeah, this is truly, truly sad. Moving along. All right, so <clears throat> with our theme today of you know direct revelation mixed with Bible twisting, it's kind of a cocktail of uh, deception, if you would. Um, here is Jane Hammond of uh, Christian International Ministries discussing a direct revelation that she received regarding destroying the spirit of robbery. And if you've spent any time in charismatic circles, then you will know and recognize that uh, what she is saying uh, falls into a, a kind of a standard template that you hear from charismatic prophetic types. And uh, when you actually take the time to think about what it is that's being said and start pushing on it a little bit, it doesn't make any sense, and it's not even useful or helpful. Let's listen in. Here's Jane Hammond. Hi, I'm Apostle Jane Hammond, and I'm coming to you. Uh, yeah, so, sorry. Did I fail to mention that she calls herself an apostle? <laughs> yeah. If anybody, if any living person actually claims to be an apostle today and they are in your church, run. I mean, and, and not that, that is not an overstatement. Run. There are no living apostles, period, today at all. Not one. That office is closed, and it was only open to those whom Christ sent, and they had to be uh, eyewitnesses of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Apostle Jane? Uh, yeah, no. There, <laughs> there's, that's problematic on two levels, but I just uh, addressed the one. We continue. Beautiful Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, from Vision Church and Christian International. I wanted to take a few minutes to share with you some of the keys that God has brought to us during this last season of time that have really been positioning us for an incredible season of breakthrough. Now, see, this is like standard boilerplate charismatic church uh, template here. Um, I want to share with you the keys that God has given us for breakthrough, and y y all these buzzwords are there. And if you've spent any time in these types of churches, then you're aware of the fact that you know the the template comes out regularly, and some of the words change, but the the standard template is the same. Oh, these are the keys. God's given us uh, this word in order for people to experience breakthrough in this season and things like that, and it all it all amounts to Nothing, nothing. I mean, I would say that it amounts to like something like magic beans. Um, the problem is when you read the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, I mean, you know, it's kind of a bad analogy because the beans actually turned out to be magic. But in this case, it's, these are not magic beans. These are just ordinary beans being sold to you as if they're magic beans. And there's no magical properties whatsoever. You can plant them and overnight there will, a beanstalk will not appear. We continue. At the beginning of 2013, the Lord really spoke to me out of Deuteronomy 23, verse 5, that says that the curse will be turned into a blessing for us because the Lord loves us. All right, let's take a look at that passage. She's claiming that the Lord really revealed something to her from that verse, speaking out of that verse. And what's fascinating here is that if you look at the context, remember our three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, context. When you take a look at the context of this passage, what she's saying doesn't make any sense. Um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 23, <laughs> 23 actually kind of starts off with a kind of a rough 
reading if this is where you're going to start off with, but pay attention to the context. These, this is a list of different prohibitions from the law, okay, or from the Torah. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Verse 2, no one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter into the assembly of the Lord. Uh, Verse 3, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet uh, you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were a sojourner in the land. Now, stop there. The, the verse in question, I've, I've given you a, plenty of context. Here's Deuteronomy 23, verse 5. And all she's reading out is the part about uh, the Lord turned your uh, turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. Um, okay. This is, uh, this is in the context of the prohibition against Ammonites and Moabites entering into the assembly of the Lord. Uh, this has nothing to do with you and I receiving a blessing or God turning our curses around and stuff like that. Because quite frankly, last time I checked, um, Balaam is uh, dead. And, uh, and there are no Ammonites and Moabites being that are hiring Balaam currently uh, to curse you. So um, this historically doesn't make any sense. Contextually, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, who am I to question? The Apostle Jane here. We continue. And we have really been seeing God turning things around for the people of God as they begin to uh, activate their faith, as they begin to release decrees into the heavenly realm, and as they begin to war warfare against the spirits of, of, of wickedness and the spirits of darkness that have been sent to rob from us. Ah, spirits of wickedness sent to rob from us. Yeah, they're like gang members of the spiritual world. You know, they're sent to rob us. Uh Um, Uh-huh. Again, here's a question I have. Um, You you hear this phrase often, people who are activating their faith. What does that even mean? I mean, I listen, every couple of years, my bank sends me a new uh, debit card. All right. I don't have a credit card, but I have a debit card. And uh, when it arrives in the mail... The, uh, the the instructions on the card say to call this number in order to activate my debit card. Now, nowhere in Scripture do I see, okay, here's some faith that God has sent to you, but you need to activate it. I mean, what does that even mean? And so last year, um, about halfway through the year, the Lord started speaking to me about one particular assignment that's been coming against the people of God that's called the spirit of robbery. And I prayed with a, uh, a couple that we knew that were very prosperous in business. But as- So she's receiving direct revelation. There's something that's coming against Christians, the spirit of robbery. Oh, man. Wow. Well, this sounds terrible. The spirit of robbery. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of you know somebody who's willing, who comes to your door, knocks on your door. It says, listen, you know, I, you know I, I receive sympathetic vibrations from the pixie world. And uh, I, in fact, um, I'm after walking by your house, I can feel the vibrations. And I think your your house is infested with Cornish pixies. 
And uh, therefore, you know, for a small fee, I'd be happy to, uh, you know, to rid you of your pixie problem. And <clears throat> you look around your house and go, I don't see any pixies. Well, of course, you can't see them. You're not enlightened like I am. I'm sympathetic to the pixie world. And and so they're willing to, you know, solve the problem for a minor fee. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so uh, we've got, you know, the apostle, Jane here, receiving direct revelation from God to give us the inside skinny on something we've never heard of before, the spirit of robbery. Oh, I'm so glad she's got the keys and the solution on how to break this. meeting that we were at, the Lord said, go break a spirit of robbery off of this couple. I kind of argued a little bit because I thought they were very blessed. But the Lord said, no, the enemy's been robbing from them. So I went back and laid hands on them. And apparently they'd actually had uh, five different business deals uh, just fall apart uh, at the last minute over the last six-week period of time. And so we prayed and we began to decree what it says in the word where the enemy, when he's caught, he has to pay back double. There's actually another scripture that says if you catch a thief, he has to pay back seven times as much. Standard false teaching from the charismatic movement here. Standard false teaching. You know, oh, well, you catch a thief in the action, he's got to pay you double back. Well, that's from the Torah, and it's actually talking about real thieves. And so now they're claiming, oh, well, look at this. Oh, we've got this key here. See, Satan's been stealing from you. And so because you caught him, he's got to pay you double back. And we're talking about bonafide money here. Yeah, this is a form of the health and wealth prosperity heresy. We started decreeing and believing that whatever the enemy had stolen from them would have to be given back. And so we began to declare that double portion. Over the next six weeks, they actually closed on 11 business deals that were worth multi-millions of dollars, and God gave them back over twice what the enemy had stolen from them. And about two weeks later, I had a vision during a time of prayer. And in this vision, I saw a boxing ring. And inside the boxing ring, there were two demonic spirits. One was called the Devourer. The other was called the Destroyer. And these two demonic spirits were dancing around the ring. Did you happen to see Zul and the Keymaster? Yeah, just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm curious, you know. Daring people to come and fight with them, kind of like Goliath dared the, the armies of Israel to come and fight uh, with, with him. And they were mocking and jeering and taunting the crowd, and no one was getting into the ring to contend with them. And uh, I was getting a little bit frustrated as I saw this, and I said, God, why is nobody getting in there and throwing a knockout punch against the devourer and the destroyer? Until I saw them dance around and I read the back of their robe. You know how boxers come out and they have those robes on? Yeah. Well, the back of their robe actually said this, this is just life. And I began to realize that the devourer and the destroyer were coming in. You know, the scripture says that the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We shouldn't be surprised when he tries to do that. Oh, I'm so glad you've got all this secret information that nobody else has access to because, you know, of course, you're an apostle and you can see into the spiritual realm and it received these direct revelations. Where would the church be without you? But what happened is that because uh, because we were thinking, well, this is just life. This, well, the, account, the economy's bad. That's why my finances are bad. Or maybe I'm getting older. That's why my health is bad. Uh, my children have gone off to college. That's what happens when kids go off to college. And we just accepted this is just life. And we just let the devourer, we let the destroyer come in and rob from us. And so I, I began to say, absolutely not. We're not going to do this anymore. We're stripping off the robe that says this is just life. And we're going to begin to lay hold in the spirit and begin to war against these spirits that have come to rob from our health. They've come. Yeah, I think you're the one who was sent by the devil to rob people. 
uh, to rob people of sound doctrine, to rob people of a focus on Christ, to rob people of what the Bible really says, and to focus people's attention on you rather than on Jesus. Rob from our wealth, they've come to rob from our family, from our vision, our churches, our ministries, all these areas where the enemy has been robbing. And we've begin, begun to war, we've begun to decree, and we've been watching people's family members come home, we've been watching miracles happen in people's bodies as they're being healed and restored, we've been watching finances. Sounds so exciting. How about people brought to repentant faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Um, you, we know you don't teach sound biblical doctrine because you claim to be an apostle. Um, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying here, folks. Th- again, this is standard uh, boiler template stuff that we're listening to, uh, kind of a cocktail, mixture of scripture twisting with so-called direct revelation. None of it is true, and these people are false teachers. They're either self-deceived, or deceiving, or deceived by the devil. But what they're saying this isn't biblical Christianity, nor is it even remotely close to the message of the of the gospel or the correct message regarding true Christian sanctification in Christ. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a kind of an extended Matt Sorger update. We haven't really done too much with him, but we'll be doing more in the future starting after this break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. presents Church Day Select. And uh, greetings to the Wallace Tapley Show. I'm your host, Wallace Tapley, and my official title is the only mostly accurate prophet of the end times. Uh, some of my competitors call me the second and two-tenths weasel of the apocalypse, but I do my best to ignore their comments of hate and derision. I, I do have an update this week. 
Uh, yes, uh, my direct revelations from God this week had told me something very, very special. It should be coming in right about now. Oh, this is a goodie. It reads, This blessing is for a certain person who's currently living in Italy and is the owner of a bistro. It says that you'll be receiving one million euros. Uh, make that 500,000. Uh, 10,000. Five. Oh, um, yes, you're receiving five euros today. Heaven be praised. Oh, it seems that I'm getting another download. I do believe that it's the result of next year's Super Bowl. Uh, this could turn out to be very profitable indeed. It says the winner of the next year's Super Bowl will be the Chicago Cubs. No, wait, that's not right. Uh, I mean the L.A. Lakers. No, that's not right either. I, I, I do apologize, folks. My computer suffers from Plato's tenfold error syndrome from time to time. Oh, here we go. It says... Handshake error. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. See you next time on the Wallace Tapley Show. Goodbye! Purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Hello, I'm Brandon House of WorldviewRadio.com. WorldviewRadio.com is the world's premier biblical worldview online radio network. And now you can take it with you on the go with our free app that you can download free of charge at WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. That's WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. And you'll hear the daily and weekly radio programs by people like T.A. McMahon of The Brian Call, Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith, Usama Dakdok on The Truth About Islam, 
Noise of Thunder with Chris Pinto, Justin Peters and the Justin Peters Program, Crosstalk, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and Prophecy Today, Jesse Johnson with the Bible Teaching Program of Emmanuel, Dr. John Whitcomb, and Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Radio, as well as Carl Tycrib with Forcing Change Radio. All of these biblically-based radio programs are available free of charge at worldviewradio.com and through our free app at worldviewweekend.com forward slash app. Biblical Worldview Radio that you can take with you on the go. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if you have a female apostle or some prophet-prophetess combo claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God and twisting God's word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. It's a great way to support us to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button right there on our website, or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing without it. Now, a little quick announcement here. Um, a little bit of a brouhaha on the internet. And of course, I've stuck myself right in the middle of it. Um, if you're familiar with the uh, the, the work of uh, Dr. James White, who is, this, this is a guy who really understands uh, you know, biblical text, textual criticism, and stuff like that. Well, on uh, the uh, AO Min website uh, yesterday, uh, there was a, a blog post taking Chris Pinto to uh, task. Chris Pinto is uh, uh, is another broadcaster who also broadcasts on uh, Brandon House's uh, Worldview Radio Network, and um, he has a video out there where he claims that um, Codex Sinaiticus is a uh, it's a forgery of uh, you know Jesuit origin, and um, and of course you know James White completely disagrees. In fact, I'm you know as somebody who can read these texts, I. of Jesuit origin. And the blog post over at the Alpha and Omega Ministries uh, website takes Chris Pinto's uh, assertions to task. And uh, and so there's been people who, you know, from time to time email me and they'll say things like, well, do you hear some of the things that are being said over at Worldview Weekend? And it's like, well, yeah, okay, I, I don't really listen there. I'm one of the broadcasters there. And I was invited to, uh, you know, to be one of the broadcasters over at Worldview Weekend. Now, th- I understand that that is an evangelical uh, you know, broadcasting outfit, and uh, Brandon and I were friends, and theologically, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Uh, however, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, 
And so, you know, when Brandon says something that is different than what I say, you know, listen, you in a situation like that, you know what you do? You take out your Bible and you see who's saying what squares with Scripture. Now, this is a historical issue then with uh, Chris Pinto, and uh, I, I do not agree with uh, Chris Pinto's assertions, and uh, neither does James White. And so I contacted uh, uh, Dr. White yesterday and asked if he'd be willing to debate Chris Pinto on this topic. And uh, I contacted Chris Pinto and asked him if he'd be willing to debate uh, James White on this topic. You know, is Kodak Sinaiticus a Jesuit forgery? And um, both of them agreed to a radio debate that I will moderate, and we are trying to button down the exact date, but we tentatively have it scheduled, slated for sometime during the second week of December uh, uh, of this year. So it should be a fascinating debate, and we're going to hold it here. And so I wanted to announce that uh, for you all to know about. Now, let's continue with what we're doing here uh, today here at Fighting for the Faith in our, you know, kind of our strange uh, how do we, deception cocktail episode, probably the right way of putting it. Here's uh, Matt Sorger, also of the XP Media Patricia King Gang, so we don't need to play the update music again. And uh, this is him, well, selling a, a product that he's put together, a teaching that he's put together. And I want you to hear the commercial before we get into uh, his living in the glory um, teaching. But li- listen, and here's Matt Sorger. Have you ever desired for God's glory to be upon you within you, around you, moving through you. Well, now, if I was, why would I have this desire? Have you ever desired for God's glory to be upon me, to move in and all that kind of stuff? Um, Where in the Bible am I taught that I should expect such a thing? I am so excited today to share with you my most favorite teaching series of all time. It's called The Protocol of the Glory, Living in the Cloud of His Presence. Living in the Cloud of His Presence. Hmm. On this teaching series, you will learn about living in the Holy of Holies. Where in the Bible does it say we can live in the Holy of Holies? That's just weird. Um, You know, um, I'm not familiar with any passages that say, and here's how you, Christian, now can live in the Holy of Holies. Power that is hidden in the glory, the cloud of glory, and transfiguration glory. You know, we've been in services and meetings where the whole atmosphere becomes charged with the glory of God. We've even seen literal tangible clouds of his presence form in the room. But there are times... Yeah, how do you know those weren't demons manifesting themselves? You can't see the cloud, but it's there. There's an atmosphere of heaven that comes in. In this teaching series, I'm going to teach you the secrets of the protocol of coming into the Holy of Holies. The secrets of the protocol of coming into the Holy of Holies. Hmm... Now, there is a problem, and the reason I say that's a problem is is because what famous heresy did Christianity face early on that was all about secret knowledge? Oh, yeah, it was called Gnosticism. So somehow Matt Sorger, he's figured out the secret, the secret to the protocol of coming into the Holy of Holies. And you're thinking, you know, this doesn't sound biblical to me at all. Well, it's not. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, and thus saith the Lord, here is the protocol for you to invoke or to do so that you too may come and dwell in the Holy of Holies. If this is a teaching that God wants us to know, you know, to understand the protocol of entering the Holy of Holies, then his word would teach it clearly and we wouldn't need Matt Sorger to teach it to us. Now, would we? 
living in the Holy of Holies, and then what is found in the cloud of his glory? What is hidden in that secret place? And I'm sure you know, huh? Yeah, wow. We teach you how to access realms of God's power that are not accessible in the natural dimension. But Yeah, again, uh, if this is a biblical teaching, why couldn't I just open up my Bible and hear it, read it? I'd know it. Got to go into the glory realm, into the glory dimension, to be able to begin to receive these deeper dimensions of God's power. Uh huh. These deeper dimensions. This is Gnosticism, folks. Just under a different, uh, you know, name. We'll also teach you about His transfiguration glory. Oh yeah, because where in the Bible does it say that Jesus's transfiguration glory is something that I can tap into? And no, like nowhere. Jesus went up to the top of the mountain. Yeah, he did. He was transfigured before his disciples. Well, this is true. There was a transfiguration glory upon Jesus where... Um, that's a big stretch. The light of God shone through him. And uh, wouldn't this be his glory shining through? Um, because who is Jesus? Yeah, that's right. He's the one true God in human flesh. And his true identity was revealed. There is something that happens in you when his transfiguration glory gets a hold of you on the inside. Yeah, again, uh, where in the Bible does it talk about Jesus' transfiguration glory getting a hold of me on the inside? Just not familiar with those texts at all. It's as if you're just making things up. Suddenly, you begin to get transformed as you... No way. Wow, dude. Will you throw in a free pair of of paring knives and some Julian fry cutters? Behold his face as you behold his glory. So I'm so excited for you to get a hold of this teaching today. It will transform your entire life. Yeah, I'm sure it'll transform my bank account from being uh, doing okay to not being okay. I'll be out however much money this costs plus shipping and handling. F folks, again... um. Yeah. If this was really a biblical teaching, we could open up to these passages and we could be able to open up to passages within the Bible and it would be right there for us to, uh, you know, to listen to, to uh, for us to know. Now, of course, it's always good to have a sound biblical teacher to help explain to you what God's word says. But the problem is, is that nowhere in the Bible does it teach any of this stuff, that Jesus's transformation glory can be upon you or that you can live in the Holy of Holies if you understand the secret protocol and all this kind of stuff. He's just making stuff up, you know, and basically feeding off of the, um, how shall I put it, misplaced zeal within uh, the charismatic movement for people wanting and, and lusting after, almost idolatrously, for uh, experiences of God's glory and things like that. So, uh, well, with that, let's let's take a look at his teaching regarding living in the glory. Here's Matt Sorger uh, again. There is a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people that's going to clothe them with his presence and power. Ah, fresh one, huh? Okay. I want you to get ready tonight for a fresh baptism of fire. Now, oh, this sounds a lot like Patricia King. Get ready for a fresh baptism of fire. And the grace of God is so good that even where you cannot change yourself, the fire of God will consume everything out that needs to go. And God's presence, his abiding presence. Have you been watching Patricia King's Burning Man videos? In you will transform you in ways you... Sorry, man of fire. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting slip of the tongue. And not change yourself. 
Luke 24, 49 says to be clothed with power from on high. Jesus said, go wait until you're clothed. Another translation says until you're endued with power from on high. You see, to be endued with power means to be clothed with power. Uh, again, he's, oh man, he's got kind of a twin thing going on here. Uh, Bible twisting along with um, direct revelation. Luke 24, yes, is talking to the disciples to wait until they're clothed from, on pow- from power on high. And that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. This is not a command for us. We're not supposed to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit's already here. Clothed with power, clothed with glory, clothed with glory. So now, how many want to? How many want to see signs and wonders and miracles and deliverance and all that stuff overflow out of your life? Well, I'll tell you what. God loves us so much, and He cares about us so much that He's not only going to empower us and anoint us to cast out demons and heal the sick. But he is going to anoint us and empower us to have good attitudes. Oh, well, that'll just transform everything. Can you imagine a whole bunch of people clothed with a new baptism of fire where they have good attitudes? Oh, that'll just, whew, peace will ensue, I'm sure. He's going to anoint you to be patient. He's going to anoint you to be kind. He's going to anoint... Uh, no, wait, 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 wait. He's going to anoint you. These, which are the patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all the... Those are the uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit already listed in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit produces that in Christians already without a fresh anointing. You get what I'm saying? You would love. He's going to anoint you. With self-control. He's going to anoint you and clothe you and endue you with power so that you have enough self-control to keep your mouth shut when you need to keep it shut. He's going to fill you with so much power that people are actually going to like you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know. Look, it's easy to like someone in church. It's easy to like someone in the glory. It's easy to like someone when they're worshiping God. It's when they're themselves. That's where the problem comes in. It's when worship music isn't coming out of their mouth. That's where the problem comes in. This is so... It's just... I don't, I don't even... Junior high-ish? I mean, sophomore-ish? It's just... This is so ridiculously adolescent. I love you in church. Just go and sing. Amen. We'll be great. No, but God, look, God doesn't want to just anoint you to see visions and be caught up to heaven. He wants to anoint you to clean your bathroom. Okay, um, I you know it's funny. I would say that it is a good work to take care of the things that God has given you, but God hasn't anointed you for dreams and visions. That's not actually promised in Scripture. 
this is kind of a weird teaching that we're getting here. I, I'm glad he's shooting low because the, <laughs> you know, normally these guys shoot a lot higher and then nothing ever happens and they look, you know, they get egg on their face. But so, uh, good. So this the uh, toilet bowl cleaning anointing. Okay, that's okay. Moving along, we continue. Some of you tonight, you need to go home and clean your bathroom. Lord Jesus, clean the mold out of your bathtub. Clean the dishes in the sink. Take the garbage out. Respond to someone with a good attitude. Because you want to know the greatest way that the glory of God is seen on us is through our actions and our attitudes. I said it's through our actions and attitudes. Colossians. God has had me in the book of Colossians. He's had me meditating. The book, and I know this is a word from the Lord right here. I don't know about everything else I've said tonight, but I know this, what I'm about to say is a word from the Lord. <laughs> When this is like a mocking demon, you know what I'm saying? When I, when I when I first started traveling, I gained thirty pounds. And because I gained thirty pounds, I had to go out and buy new clothes. Pants that would fit me and shirts that would fit me. One of the reasons why I'm wearing this vest tonight because this shirt doesn't quite fit me right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Glory. Don't worry. I'm taking care of it. I'm taking care of it. But I remember, you know, I was not happy gaining weight. Especially, especially. <laughs> so wonderful how God uses people. It's wonderful, God. You know, between going and getting a haircut and having someone I hadn't seen in 10 years look at me and say, boy, you've gained some weight. <laughs> Especially when I see you on TV, man, you, you, you look even bigger on TV. I mean, I'm minding my own business trying to get my haircut and someone has to come and tell me that I look fat and that I look even fatter on international television. They say television puts like 10 extra pounds on you. I mean, if you want to look good on TV, you got to be like, ooh. <laughs> so, you know, so I decide I'm going to start drinking some health drinks and doing some exercise. And I start shedding that weight off and I lose 30 pounds. Lose 30 pounds. Praise God. I've gained a few back, but I'm, I'm going to lose it again. I'll lose it. I certainly have not gained it all back, that's for sure. Maybe like five pounds, praise God. It'll be off after this weekend. <laughs> Especially after eating all that pasta in the green room, praise God.
you know, so I started to make some changes. I started to eat healthier. I started to do some exercise. And I realized, you know, I started putting different things into my body. Hallelujah. And miracle of miracles, as I put different things into my body, the outside started to get transformed. You change what puts in you, the outward starts to change. Both physically and spiritually. But I had to buy some new clothes and, you know. This is one of the weirdest teachings I've ever heard. And it's delivered in this kind of sophomore-ish, junior high mocking tone. Even the laughter just seems wicked and evil. Let's continue. Supposedly living in the glory. Okay. It would look silly if I kept my old clothes on and they didn't fit me. They'd be all big and baggy. Wouldn't it be silly if you walked around with shirts and pants that just didn't fit you? Wouldn't look right. So, you know, we come to Christ and we start putting different things inside of us. We start putting his word in us. We start putting the Holy Spirit in there. Eventually, your outer man conforms to what's being put into your inner man. And the inward change brings an outward change. And then what you have to do is put on some new clothes to match the new person that you are on the inside. And how exactly am I supposed to do that? You got to put on some new clothes. It's a match. Hallelujah. And so we begin to put on new clothes. We begin to put on new behavior that matches who we really are on the inside. Begin to shed old things. Begin to shed baggage. You begin to shed bad attitudes. You begin to shed unhealed Wounds and sin. It's like losing weight. So you're talking about Christian sanctification, right? You're losing weight in the spirit. And when we lose the weight, we have our old clothes and our new clothes. But for some reason, a lot of us decide to keep our old clothes somewhere hidden away in the closet. The ones that don't fit us anymore. We have all the old clothes. I mean, we keep them, but they don't even fit. It's true. I mean, we we keep old clothes that don't fit who we are anymore. You see, to be clothed in Christ is not only to have Jesus on the inside, but it's to be clothed with his nature and his action and his behavior on the outside. Is to put on new clothes. Uh, okay, I need you to be teaching me Christian sanctification from a biblical text. That match who we really are now. And it's like we keep these old clothes as a backup plan just in case we gain the weight again. Some of you have like five sets of clothes in your closet. <laughs> For all different sizes. And you keep a backup plan for backsliding. Just in case you backslide back into a certain size, you have clothes to fit. Hallelujah. No, there's nothing hallelujah about this. By the way, one of the reasons why we're getting such a miserable teaching here 
is because this is the type of church where the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, constantly on signs and wonders, works of the Holy Spirit, living in the glory, you know, all of that kind of stuff, rather than on Christ and him crucified for our sins, and because if it was focused on Christ and him crucified for our sins, people would be hearing about Christ's death on the cross for their sins. They would be confessing their sins, hearing that their sins are forgiven, and living in that grace, living, you know, and, and their sanctification would be literally taking off as a result of the, the the work of the Spirit through the gospel, through the preaching of the word, focused in on what Christ has done. Because the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, it's on the Holy Spirit, and the job of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Um, there, huh. Yeah, anyway, you get what I'm saying? This is just, I can't listen to it anymore because it's just too bizarre and weird. But again, twisting the scripture, putting in his own life experiences, you know, and thankfully we didn't get a direct revelation from him. But, you know, he was hinting at the fact that he does receive direct revelations. So you, you get what I'm saying. All right. We are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. I'm in there at Pirate Christian. Quick break and we come back. First sermon we've ever reviewed from Element Church. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. 
Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no. I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Been finding a lot of new churches to add into my ever-expanding library of the worst sermons ever preached in the history of Christianity. Over two terabytes now. Here we go. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, sermon comes to us via Element Church in Wentzville, Missouri. Eric Lawson presiding. The name of said sermon is entitled Happily Ever After. And the best way I can describe this is that, well, it's a stand-up comedy routine masquerading as group marriage counseling with a couple of -of out-of-context verses thrown in to create the false impression that it's actually a biblical teaching that you're getting from the stage there at Element Church on this particular Sunday. Um, And I must warn you that some of the things you're going to hear, the antics of Eric Lawson during said sermon, um, rival the obnoxiousness that we've heard in previous sermons that we've reviewed here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, delivered by Ed Young. So, um, yeah, you may want to take the proper um, safety precautions so that you don't hurt yourself when you have like a, you know, if you know it's coming, you don't have like that reflex knee-jerk reaction where like if you're driving down the road while listening to Fighting Faith and fighting for the faith and you hear this obnoxiousness, you know, how you, you, you clench your fists up and it might cause you because of the tension in your arms to steer your car into like the center divider. So you, you don't want to do that. But um, let me go ahead and kill the music here. And without any further ado, here, here is Eric Lawson again. No, he has no, um, he's no relation to Stephen Lawson, the very good preacher. Uh, from Alabama, no, no, I, as far as I know, no relation to him at all. But um, here's Eric Lawson, uh, Element Church, Wentzville, Missouri, happily ever after. Here we go. Missed you guys, and uh, but I had a great time last week at my pastor's church, Pastor Steve's church, and uh, it's fun getting to, to go out and speak at some other places from time to time because uh, I learn as a pastor and I bring back ideas. And uh, But here's what I usually learn. I love Element Church. I can't wait to get back. Greatest church in America. Just, just love you all. And uh, so thank you. And I'm excited about this series that we're starting. 
And uh, it's called Happily Ever After, A Fairy Tale Romance. How many want some more romance? That's why you're all here. Glad you're here. Yeah, um, I don't go to church to get more romance. Um, I go to church to hear scripture preached to me, and it's about Jesus. So I, I don't go to church to get more mo romance. You know, fairy tales, man, we love them. We grew up on them. We still watch them. We love a good fairy tale. We love Snow White and Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and Rambo and <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. and Man, we love a good fairy tale. And, and now the stand-up comedy routine has begun. Over the years, since childbirth, we've been weaned on these things called fairy tales. And without even realizing it, over time, we've all been fed or indoctrinated with this concept that true love is found in its first kiss that leads to a 24-hour courtship with a My Fair Wedding done by David Turturro with an unlimited budget that nobody ever explains where it came from. The catering showed up on time. All the in-laws and outlaws completely behaved at the ceremony. Everything's perfect. The birds are chirping. The doves are flying. And then they get into their carriage and they coast on over the sunset to happily ever after the end. Yay! Nothing's wrong. It's perfect. And so we start out dating and pursuing marriage and we get into this thing called marriage and all of a sudden we find out that everything we saw in the movies is a lie. <laughs> Walt Disney lied to us. I'm going to sue him because he lied, man, because there ain't no fairy tale. See, I bought two tickets. To happily ever after, and I'm stuck in Nightmare on Elm Street, man. I'm in the wrong movie, baby. I want my money back, but they locked the door behind me. What happened? Now, he's got good comedic delivery, no doubt. I mean, but this is a stand-up comedy routine. And based upon the quality of the material that's being presented here, makes me wonder if he's ripping this off from another comedian. Just, you know, just putting it out there. We've seen a lot of plagiarism going on in the seeker-driven movement. You know, what they never show in the fairy tales is the next day. They, they, they can't show it because nobody would buy it. Nobody would go. They don't show the next morning when Cinderella wakes up with Komodo dragon breath. They, they don't show that next morning when she rolls over looking at her knight in shining armor just to find out he's a big ogre called Shrek. Ladies, don't elbow your man right now because if you saw Shrek, you remember Princess Fiona. She was an ogre too. She just lied about it. <laughs> hey, they don't show a couple years down the road when Cinderella can no longer fit in the glass slipper because she's had a few too many bonbons. <laughs> they don't show Cinderella and Prince Charming arguing over which way the toilet paper goes. Over, under, over, under, over, under. It's over. I'm telling you, that is the right way. It's over. We've had this argument in my house for 18 years now of marriage. I've had the privilege of getting to stay at some nice hotels, and I'll call my wife, Hey, baby, come here. Come here, look it. It's over. It's over. That's nice. 
It's still under. I've just resigned myself. You don't see that. You don't. Yeah, now that was a technical glitch on their part, not mine. You'll see Cinderella with fingerprints all over her dress and her hair frazzled and monkeys all over her and Prince Charming comes home. Hi. And he's, she's all, you did this to me. Now, as entertaining as this is, um, what does this have to do with sound doctrine, Christian sanctification, Christ him crucified for our sins, what the Bible actually says uh, regarding me? I don't see that this has anything to do whatsoever with God's word. Weird, huh? We continue with this obnoxiousness now. And I have a headache. You know, you probably figure it out by now. <laughs> there is no such thing as a fairy tale romance. Oh, dude, you lied to me on the postcard. That's why I came. <laughs> you know why? Because those are taken out of the wrong book. They're taken out of a storybook, a fairy tale book. But there is a formula in God's Word, in His book, the right book, that if we will. Readjust our expectations in line with God's book, his story, that we can have a happily ever after ending. Where we can stay in love and continue to fall in love and, and, and grow old together and, and hold hands and still kiss and walk around the lake taking hits off one another's oxygen tanks and still in love. And we can do that. If we will get our head out of the storybook and get our head into God's book, we can truly have great romance and a great happily ever after ending. Really? So the Bible promises Christians great romance and a happily ever after ending. I seem to recall certain passages of Scripture talking about how um, Christ ends up causing well family conflict oftentimes. And there's even in the New Testament instructions for people whose spouses, um, well, let's, how do we put it? They continue to be willing to stay married to their Christian partner, but their heart's not in it kind of stuff. And, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? But what if your spouse leaves you because you're a Christian? Uh, yeah, the Bible doesn't actually promise Christians a happily ever after because here's the deal. In every marriage relationship, in every marriage, um, there's two sinners, two of them, okay? One male, one female. Now, of course, I'm not into this progressive thing where you got the same-sex marriage thing. That's not a marriage. That's just flat-out sin, okay? But in, you know, in a marriage, there's two sinners, and, uh, you know, there's, there's got to be a way for, you know, Christians to work through the fact that they are simultaneously justified before God because of Christ and still have their sinful nature that they have to deal with. Uh, in other words, it takes some pretty good sanctification work on the part of the Holy Spirit to sanctify each of the partners within a marriage. And the secret, there's no secret, by the way, but, um, you know, the, but the thing that keeps a Christian marriage together it's the forgiveness of sins. Just like our relationship to God is reconciled because of the forgiveness of sins, our relationship to each other, married-wise, that's reconciled through the forgiveness of sins. I don't think um, 
Eric Lawson's going to get there. But, well, let's continue with the stand-up comedy routine. It's so entertaining, isn't it? It won't be problem-free. And it won't be without some friction and some tension. But a great marriage and a great romance is attainable if we'll follow God's plan. And so that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. Let's look at James. This is going to be our text passage today. The book of James, chapter 4, verse 1. James begins this passage with a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? (laughs) It's simple. Her. Now, wait a second here. Uh, Let's apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. They are context, context, and context. Is James chapter 4, verse 1, a passage talking about why do quarrels arise in marriages and what's the solution to that? Well, let's take a look at the context. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is the wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's talking about in the church, Christians. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and speak to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yeah, that's what that's the context of James chapter 4, verse 1. I went back to James chapter 3, verse 13, and kept re- uh, reading all the way through verse 5. So, as you can see, this isn't talking about advice for having a happily ever after marriage that you need to apply. Because remember, Eric Lawson here says, oh, you got to do your marriage according to the book, and then you can have a happily ever after marriage. Well, um, James chapter 4, verse 1 isn't about that at all. We continue. What causes fights and quarrels? That's easy. It's him. He's hard-headed. He leaves his undies lying around. He won't put the toilet seat lid down. It's him. I think it's simple. It's the (laughs) mother-in-law. So it's a question that we all have. And right now in your mind, you're probably tabulating and calculating all the fights that you've had and why it's their fault. It's what we do. And so James continues to give us an answer, but it's not quite what we probably think it is. So he continues. Don't they come from where? Your desires that battle where? Within you. you. Say that again. Where? Within you. You want something and don't get it. And what happens? We quarrel and we fight. See, that's so counter culture to what we think. See, when we have a fight and when we have an argument, it's because... Of them, it's it's their fault. If you would just do what I told you to do, and if you would just do what I expect you to do, and you'd do it now, 
we wouldn't have a problem, would we? Answer me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. The Bible says all of that begins with something inside. And what it is, is it's this expectation that we have that we project onto our spouse, that we project onto our job, that we project onto our kids, that we project into this dating relationship. And it's this expectations that somehow aren't being met. Now, certain degree of expectations are okay. See, when we stand at the altar and, and we make and exchange vows, there's expectations there that are legitimate, that, that we should honor. You know, we say things like for richer or poorer, for better or for worse. You know, I got a question. When a uh, <clears throat> couple gets married in a seeker-driven church, they don't have altars there. Um, so wouldn't it be when they say their vows while on stage or standing in front of the stage? There's no altars there in a seeker-driven church. Now, we didn't know how much worse worse could get. But there's certain expectations there. But the problem begins when we have unrealistic expectations, then we have misplaced expectations, and those don't get met. Now, all of a sudden, we have this source of tension that the Bible says began within us, but it now begins to divide us and cause these quarrels among us. See, all of us inside... Have a pig. Did you know that? Did you know that? Now, you can't see this because you're not watching it on video like I am. Um, he's got two piggy banks sitting on, sitting on a table, one pink and one blue. So and now he's saying that within each of us, there is a pig. Um, what passage says that inside of us is a pig? Inside of your spouse, it's a pig. It's a piggy bank. You don't let me finish. It's a piggy bank inside all of us. Every man has this pig inside that wants to be fed, this account, this bank that says, fill me. Every woman has this account, this, this bank with inside that says, fill me. And you know, when we're dating and then we're, we're newly married and, you know, we're just, oh, I, I want to do whatever you want. And, and so we, we all come to this relationship with, some change. We all reach with inside us and we have certain things that we can give to meet the needs, the desires of this person that we've committed to. And so a, a wife, honey, am I beautiful? Yes, you are beautiful. Oh, you are so fine, baby. You're the sugar in my Kool-Aid and the peanut in my Snickers bar. And now he drops a coin inside of the uh, pig. The antics continue. This is a great stand-up comedy routine, you know, masquerading as so-called marriage therapy, although none of this is earth-shattering or, like, big aha moment kind of stuff at all. It's, like, based on one, so far, out-of-context biblical verse. Oh, thank you. I'm not full. <laughs> Could you tell me again how beautiful I am? Oh, baby, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, you're so sweet. But I'm not full. <laughs> honey, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful. I love you. Here's some flowers. Let me take you to dinner. Oh, honey, you're just so sweet and so thoughtful. But I'm not full. 
And we all do it. But then what happens over time, we're feeding the pig and our spouse. And then we walk over here and go, hey, I got a pig too. And he's hungry. He wants to be fed. And now all of a sudden there's this battle that wages within us of whose pig can get fed the most. Then what happens is this. We have expectations. And unfortunately what we do is we place expectations on a person, on our spouse, that they can never meet. That God never intended for them to meet. Because there are certain expectations no human being can meet. Security. Every woman wants to feel secure. God wired that within a woman, and it's not bad. It's a legitimate need that you want safety and you want security and, and you want to know that everything is going to be okay. But what happens when a husband loses his job and the economy turns and all of a sudden what you look to as security is gone and now there's this, honey, I don't feel secure. Honey, we got to do this. Honey! And all of a sudden he's doing what he can. Maybe he's doing his best. But it's not meeting that need. And now all of a sudden there's this tension because your expectation's not being met. And that leads to discouragement, which leads to disillusionment, which ultimately, if not careful, can lead to divorce. Men have needs just like women have needs. And I'm so excited about in this series, we're going to spend an entire message just on the needs of a woman. Yeah. Oh, come on, ladies. You can do better than that. And I have, I have a feeling no husband's going to have... Can I just ask the obvious question? How is it that somebody who's so gifted at stand-up comedy is qualified to instruct people within the church what the needs of a woman are? Um, when did pastors have to become experts in the, on the needs of a woman? I thought the job of a pastor is to preach the Word. They're supposed to be experts in understanding God's word and preaching it and teaching it, um, not telling everybody what the needs of a woman are. I mean, it's, a seeker-driven stand-up comic is the last guy I would go to to f- discover the needs of a woman. I have the option to miss that day. <laughs> Guys, don't worry. We got four weeks on the needs of a man. <laughs> Balancing it out, making it fair. Come on. Making it fair. My wife said, that's not fair. I said, okay. Actually, we don't need four sermons. We only need about five minutes to cover the needs of a man. <laughs> I think it's pretty simple, huh? Not rocket science. <laughs> but we, we do. We have a whole message dedicated to the needs of a man. But so much tension happens is because we're putting these expectations on someone to fill this bank within us. And the reality is they can never completely fill it. And so then we get this discouragement. Now, there will never be a point in a marriage or in a healthy relationship where there isn't disappointments. We're going to disappoint one another at times. Maturity isn't that we built a relationship free from disappointment. Maturity is that we can reach a point that we know how to work through the disappointment, how we can manage that disappointment. You mean like how I'm managing my disappointment that you're not actually doing your job and preaching the word right now? Like that. Is that what you're talking about? And build a healthy relationship even at times where maybe we're a little bit disappointed. And so what I want to share over the next couple minutes is first... What are the wrong ways that we all tend to deal with disappointment? 
There are certain things that we do when we are disappointed with the spouse that actually makes things even worse, that creates a bigger cycle, a snowball effect into negativity. And then I'm going to share from Scripture uh, several things that we can do that are the right ways to deal with discouragement. Now, just to kind of give you the score here at the moment, okay, we've had 14 minutes, 17 seconds of preaching by Eric Lawson. We have had thus far one out-of-context half verse. It wasn't even a full verse. One out-of-context half verse. So at the rate we're going, we're getting about one verse, you know, for what, every 15 minutes so far? I mean, it's kind of a bad ratio. How is he supposed to actually succeed in preaching and teaching the full counsel of the Word of God? I... Yeah, I, I think it might take him about 250 years at this pace to actually do that. Now, I'm going to speak here just kind of briefly in kind of stereotypes, general stereotypes. Now, I know that, you know, not every woman's like, you know, all other women and every man, you know, and I understand this. Opposites tend to attract. And so, you know, maybe you're not the typical female in how, how you relate to certain things, and maybe you're not the typical male, but the odds are... You've attracted your opposite. So if, if you as a female aren't this first one, odds are you're the other one, and your husband's probably this one I'm describing, and that's okay. There's, there's relationships like that. But what I have found in 25 years of pastoring people that typically, okay, women have a tendency to respond one way, and men have a tendency to respond this way. In my marriage, these stereotypes are true for us. So I'm going to talk about women, and then we're going to talk about the men. Typically, the first response from women when there's a disappointment and an expectation is not being met and the pig isn't being fed fast enough or with enough, here's the response typically from women. What we tend to do is we tend... No, not we. What you (laughs) tend to do is is you do a thing. It's called turn it on. Turn it on is you're going to turn on the communication. You're going to turn on... The volume. You're going to turn on the intensity to make sure your man knows Mr. Piggy's not full. Honey, could you do this for me? Honey, sweetie, come on now. And, and, and it's this turning on of the communication. And here's your heart behind it. There's a need not being met. And you're just, because you love him, you want him to know about this need that's not being met because you love him so much that you want him to be aware. And you call it communication. And men, we call it nagging. Now, out of fairness to the women, here, here's what I've learned after... 18 years of many hospital visits, emergency rooms where I've had lacerations repaired, Uh, my wife has explained to me that the reason she has to nag is because I didn't listen the first time. And she said, if you would just listen to me, we wouldn't have to nag. And I said, I'm sorry, did you say something? I, I wasn't listening. <laughs> she says, that's why we have to repeat ourselves. All right, now we're at the 17-minute mark. Still, no appearance other than one out-of-context verse of the, of the Bible. So 
We're it, we're getting like at this point one verse for every seventeen minutes, but we still haven't got a second verse yet. So uh, the ratio is going to continue to drop until we actually get more Bible here. But I mean that's what we're dealing with here. This isn't a biblical sermon. So here's actually what I've learned: if I will adjust my windshield and how I'm looking and viewing and framing what I consider nagging and pestering. To see it as, you know what, my wife loves me enough to deeply share what's not being filled in her life. She's doing it because she cares. Now, however, you can do the wrong thing for the right reason and you still won't get the right results. Your heart may be right and you might be doing it for the right reasons. I love him and I want us to be close and I want us to feel intimate and I don't feel intimacy anymore. So I'm going to tell him. And you may do the wrong way for the right reason, but don't be expecting the right results because it will never produce what you want. That's why next week we have a whole uh, time together just on communication. My wife has learned uh, through through coaches in her life and, and through the study of Scripture some powerful tools and techniques that we both use in communicating and has revolutionized our marriage. And honestly, I hate it when she pulls out these tactics against me because there is no defense. It should be illegal what she does, but it works. I'm telling you. And so do not miss next week because we're going to have a revolution in how we communicate with one another and it will change things. Women tend to want to turn it on. It's, it's like that married couple who had achieved the 50-year anniversary and they were in a small community and everybody was aware of their marriage. They were kind of like the ideal marriage. They never fought. And so the newspaper came to do an interview with them and asked the man, what's the secret of your success? I mean, you never fight. You've been married 50 years. What's, what's the secret? He said, well, it all began on our honeymoon when we took a trip to the Grand Canyon. She's always wanted to go to the Grand Canyon, so we took a vacation. 19-minute mark, so one verse for every 19 minutes. That's the ratio at the moment. Vacation there together, and we loaded up on some pack mules, and we started heading down the canyon. Well, a few moments into this trip down the canyon on pack mules, my wife's pack mule... Now, also notice, although we're 19 minutes into this... um, that he's not spending his time explaining that passage. That was just thrown out there to kind of, you know, get set up the uh, the little piggy bank uh, portion of the entertaining stand-up comedy routine that we got from Eric Lawson. But he's not really exegeting, you know, spending all of these 19 minutes exegeting James 4.1, like far from it. So, again, at this point, 19 minutes, one verse. That's our ratio so far. Footing slipped. And I heard my wife quietly say, that's one. A few moments later, that footing slipped again on that mule, and I heard her say again, that's two. Well, about 15 minutes later, that packed mule kind of slipped again. She reached into her pocket, pulled out a 45 revolver, and shot that mule back in the head and killed him. I jumped off my mule and said, woman, what are you doing? I was yelling, and she looked at me quietly and said, that's one. <laughs> We're not advocating that as an effective form of communication. (laughs) So the mistake that is made, men and women can make it, and that is we just turn it on. And after a certain point, we think we're communicating, but we're not. We just become noise. 
Just because there's words coming out of your mouth over and over doesn't mean communication is taking place. Now, what men tend to do, women can do this too, but men have the propensity, women turn it on, men turn it off. Every man truly wants to be that knight in shining armor you thought you were marrying. We want to be. We want to be your hero. We want to be that knight that slays the dragon, scales the wall, rescues our princess. We want to win. Every man is wired by God to be a warrior that wins. Look at little boys. Man, when, when they're playing, what are they doing? They've got to win. Whatever they're playing. It's dirt clog fights, king of the mountain. They're just beating things up till they win because it's in a man that we want to win. And the problem is when a man can no longer win, there comes a point where he's tired of trying, he's tired of getting knocked down, he's tired of falling off of the tower as he's trying to climb it. There comes a point he gets off the horse and goes off to some other place that he can win. That's why men into marriage who no longer feel that they can win, they so easily rush off to work all the time and off to golf and off to their hobbies and off to their friend's house and off somewhere. Because they're going to go off where they can feel that they can win. I'm not saying it's right. But what I am saying is it's a human tendency within most men that if they can't win, they turn off. I'm not going to ask the men to raise your hand on your behalf whether or not I'm right. But how many of you men would raise your hand on behalf of another man that you know And you would say, Pastor, I know a man out there that is definitely like that. Raise your hand for your friend out there. They turn off. Now we're 22 minutes into this stand-up comedy routine slash group marriage counseling thing going on here. One verse. That's all we had. One verse. So it's one verse for every 22 minutes so far. That's the ratio. They want to win. A couple of you are smart enough to still not raise your hand on your friend's behalf. We want to win, man. That's why men tend to turn off communication. When we're losing and we can't do anything right, we turn off. And that, and that, yeah, I don't need a crucified and risen Savior for this group marriage therapy. I mean, I need a pastor who's going to preach the word. You're not doing that. Have you ever, ladies, tried to have a conversation with your man and, honey, what are you thinking? Uh, nothing. How was your day today? Good. What'd you do? Things. Can we talk about it? Uh, why? Because men turn off. When there is a disagreement and there's a need not being met, women tend to want to talk about it. Talk to me. Let's talk about it. We used to be so close and you used to hold my hand and you'd look into my eyes and say sweet things. Why don't we do that anymore? But the man's off. And what every man has is within them is a cave. The women want to go into the cave. You're not welcome in the cave. We don't want you in the cave. We go into the cave. It's where, it's where we retreat. Can I come in? No. Pretty please? No. 
What's in there? Nothing. That's how we want to keep it. Nothing's in here. <laughs> and, and so, but you want to talk about it. You want to fix it. There's needs not being met. You know it. You sense it. Man, we know something's wrong. She's mouth moving. And we know there's something wrong. We're like, oh, oh. We go off and we hide. And here's what every man does. Okay? When we're in the cave and we're emotionally shut off from intimacy and emotionally shut off from communication, and, and the wife is, is saying, come out, let's talk, let's talk about it. What a man does is we have a stack of decoys over here in the corner. And we always send out a decoy before we come out. We know this. We're smart enough. So we'll send the decoy out. Remember, the first thing your man says is not the real issue. It's not. Honey, why, why aren't we close anymore? He'll send something out. And here's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for what you do next. If the decoy comes out and you go, Yeah, but that's a... And the guillotine comes down and chops that decoy's head off. The man just pulls the rope in, stacks it over into the corner of the dead decoys, and knows it's not safe out there. I'm staying in here. I'll text a buddy from here. I'll video game it. Man, I'm here. I'm good. The hardest thing, ladies, that you'll probably ever have to learn to do, and my wife... I'm working to get her here with me next week so we can tag team this one together. So just be praying this week. Um, now I'll share her notes. But the hardest thing she's had to learn with me is not say anything when she does say, let's talk about it. And I send out my decoy and she blew it up. She's had to learn not to. I might even send out two or three decoys before I ever send out the real thing before I come out of the cave. And it's so hard for her not to say something. She'll just listen. Oh, okay. I imagine that made you feel such. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Okay, we'll get to that next week. Okay. Okay, we're at the 26-minute mark. 26 minutes of stand-up comedy, one verse. So there's your ratio so far. Now, if he brings out a second verse, it'll drop this by half. You know I mean? If he brought out two verses, it would be one verse for every 13 minutes. Right now, we're at one verse for 26 minutes of stand-up comedy. Slash marriage therapy. I don't know what this is. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Here's a Bible verse. You do whatever you want with this. I All don't... right, we've got another verse. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. So he's going to... Proverbs 21, verse 9. Oh, boy. This is going to be a train wreck. Didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Solomon, smartest man in the world, wrote this. I, I didn't. Better to live on a corner of a roof with a... Ha- ha- with a mouse eating green eggs and ham, then share a house with the quarrelsome wife. Now, this is not an attack on women, okay? What this is is an insight into men, okay? So, ladies, this isn't a hate women verse. This is- okay, so now we have two verses, two verses. So our ratio is one verse for every 13 minutes. <sighs> yeah, is this really a biblical sermon? I don't think so. This is actually one of your best friends because what this shows you is how men are wired that they would rather go hide somewhere than have to deal with tension and strife. There's a better way 
to get results, to get those needs met. And that's what we're going to get into next. Okay. So here's the right way that we can deal with disappointment when those expectations aren't being met. The first thing is this, that when my little piggy and my needs aren't being met and my wife isn't. So notice um, he's moved to the application phase. We're now in application. Um, but he's given us two out of context verses. That's it. And now we're already to the application phase. What are we applying exactly here? Just some advice that he found on the internet? Maybe he and his wife early in their marriage went to marriage counseling. And so he thought maybe we can, you know, give some people some good marriage therapy here at stage. But the people here are not being taught to apply anything that scripture says at all because we're already to the application phase and we've had two out of context verses putting enough into my account that I am to turn it over and I'm to turn it over here to God because see God truly alone is the one who has enough change to completely fill my pig only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart now I, I agree that's true god is the only one who can meet the deepest needs of the human heart but i think it would be a lot stronger if you like you know opened up the bible and showed us this truth from a biblical passage in context so that you can fulfill your duty as a pastor and preach the word god never intended your spouse to be a replacement for him and what marriages do often that fail is they put their expectations on their spouse that only God can meet and that only God should meet. See, at the end of the day, it's only God that could truly be your security. At the end of the day, you have to understand that only God can really reaffirm that you're beautiful in Him because you're fearfully made by God because we get old people at 21. I looked good. At 43, let's be honest, I still look good. But there... there, You you don't have to clap for my lies. But there's going to come a day, no matter how hard we work, we're going to get old. And if your whole identity is wrapped up in your outward beauty, when your six-pack just turns into a case... And, and, and your wrinkles can no longer be coupled with makeup and you're just filling the cracks with carbondo and your whole identity is in how your spouse can make you feel beautiful and attractive and desirable. There's going to come a point they're going to fall short and you have to be able to know that only God can truly meet your deepest needs of security, identity, of love, of affection, of self-worth. It's in- now, again, as pious as that all sounds, um, yeah, you need to demonstrate that to me from a biblical text. Because, I mean, otherwise these are just religious platitudes. And I'm not even sure which God I know what you're talking about at this point. Um, you just say God. Are we talking about the triune God? Which God are we talking about here? Again, we've had two verses so far, and we are now 29 minutes into this sermon. So the ratio now is now sitting at one verse for every... 14 and a half minutes. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not learning anything. I'm not being God's word isn't being proclaimed at all. I mean, this is just your ideas and uh, two out of context verses. This is not a biblical 
preaching or teaching. In God. And so what would happen if each spouse took their expectations off their spouse to meet their deepest needs and we redirected them appropriately to God? Um, again, can you show me that from a verse, a passage? See, now whatever my spouse does do for me is no longer, hey, you owed that to me anyway because I expected it. And that's the problem is because I expect it, it's now an I owe you, you owe me. Honey, I worked hard today. Well, you should. That's what you're supposed to do. Honey, I cleaned the house and I watched kids and I changed 300 diapers. Well, that's good, woman. That's what you should do. And now what even used to be changing the bank doesn't even make it into the bank because it was an expectation and uh, you owe me that anyway. We have to take the you owe me out of our marriage and turn it into an IOU and understand that I trust God to meet my needs. Now I can move to step two and that is I'm going to turn it up. So I turn it over to God and now I'm going to turn it up. Because uh, um, again, like I said, he's, this is application without even a text. I mean, how do I even know this is what God wants me to do? You're not actually showing me from scripture what God's will is in my marriage. There's lots of texts that talk about that. Why aren't you reading and proclaiming and teaching any of those? Because hmm? here's what I do know. In my hands and in my life, I do have something to give. I'm going to get my eyes off what I expect her to give me. You owe me this, honey. You owe me. And I'm going to trust God with that. He's meeting my needs. Now I'm going to say, what do I have to give? And I'm going to go over to my wife and say, you know what? How can I meet your needs? What do you need? How can I pour into you? How can I make you feel valued and special? Ladies, you missed a major amen opportunity right there. That was so good. You left me hanging out here, ladies. All right, back to four weeks on the needs of a man. (laughs) Just kidding, sort of. All right, here we go. Number one. So how do we turn it up? How do we turn up the romance? How do we turn up that happily ever after? God's taking care of my needs, so now what I can do, I can focus on the needs of my spouse. Number one is, I'm going to go ahead and give what I do have. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. But here's what we do. We say, honey. Okay, wait a second. Okay, so that's three verses now. Okay, so you brought your ratio down to one verse for every, you know, ten and a half minutes. That's great. Um, I'm glad your your ratio's dropping, but that's way out of context. First John chapter 4. Um, again, you know, the, the passage, the verse in particular we're talking about is where it says that we love because God first loved us okay that's what the passage is and what is that referring to is that referring to marriage is this a text about us in our marriage relationship well let's take a look at uh first john chapter four we're going to apply our three rules context 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 so here it is first john chapter four verse one beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world but this you know, uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, 
is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now and in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, there's the context going into the deeper part of First John chapter 4 here. The spirit of truth, the spirit of error, testing the spirits, right? Beloved, so let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So notice here, he just just quoted the the portion of the verse that says that that we love because he first loved us, right? But um, yeah, the context here is Christ dying for our sins um, here, verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is a passage about God's love for us by sending Christ to die for our sins. And he's hijacked this passage and made it about some application that we need to apply then in order to resolve the conflict in our marriage when our spouse's piggy is, is, isn't full and they're saying, feed me, feed me. This is ridiculous. It's, in fact, it's just, I would even say it's blasphemous. You love me and then I'll love you. Honey, if you come over here and meet my needs and make me feel good, then... I'll come over and meet your needs. God didn't do that. For God so loved the world that he gave. We Again, this is blasphemous. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. By cutting out the propitiation of sins in 1 John 4 and cutting out that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You're cutting out the gospel. This is blasphemy. He responded to him loving us. And if we would approach our marriage of, I'm going to take responsibility to love you first. Ultimately, what happens is they tend to respond. So take responsibility for what you can do. So here's, here's how I approach marriage. I, I approach it like Texas Hold'em. I like Texas Hold'em. Not that I go out and hit casinos and play for money or anything, but I, I enjoy getting together with buddies every great once in a while and playing some Texas Hold'em. I have Texas Hold'em on the Wii. Never win, but it's fun. <laughs> Never win because I don't take the risks to go all in when I should. But in marriage, I'm all in. See, I have chips. I don't have a lot of chips, but what I have, here's what I say. I'm like, baby, I'm all in. I'm holding. So your big application, the the big one, 
isn't based on the Bible. It's based upon an analogy from Texas Hold'em. Got it. Yeah, I don't generally go to poker players for advice for my marriage. Nothing back. What we want to do is we want to say, okay, let me see your hand. Let me see your cards. Let me see what you're going to do for me. And if I like it, I might put some chips in. It's not that way in marriage. The way it is is, baby, I'm all in. I don't have to see your hand. I don't care what is your hand. I'm all in. I'm sold out to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to be a helpmate to you. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do whatever it is you need. I'm all in. And I take responsibility to do that. Number two, there comes a point, even though I'm all in, it's not enough. So point number two is this. I can increase what I'm doing every time I'm reading and every time I'm studying. Now, again, that that cutout was his mic, not our equipment. Studying. Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. But God... She's not lovable today. Okay, yeah, there's another verse, again, out of context. Why aren't you actually preaching God's word? Hey, God says, Eric, are you lovable ever? (laughs) No, that's that's a good point. Do I still love you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but but you're love and I'm not. But God says, you know what? I poured my love into your heart. You're right. So maybe just let me love her through you. Okay. And then as I'm continuing in God's word and as I'm in small groups and as we're going through pathway process and we're going continuing in God's word. Um, how is that supposed to happen? You're not in God's word right now. Into foundations and we're doing life with one another and we're reading books. Here's what happens. Even though I don't have enough, I can get all that I need from God. So keep increasing what you have. Last point as we close is this. What would happen if we just celebrated what they do right? What would happen if? Oh, okay, so we're just going to just take a shot in the dark. You know, we're going to just freestyle it here. No biblical text necessary. Just, hey, what would happen if? I don't know. Let's try that. Okay. What if it doesn't work? See, what we often do is we focus on what they didn't do. So, for example, maybe your husband did something right. Maybe he... She did something right. Here's what we have a tendency to do. We don't look at what they gave. We look at what they still have. Well, honey, I know you did that. but And we get hung up on what they still have left. And you know what? That's discouraging. We don't do that with little kids. When a little kid comes up with their color poster that makes no sense, that looked like Picasso was smoking something when he made it. We look at our kids, oh, honey, that is so wonderful. That's almost a good thing you did. (laughs) And they go off, and they're going to make some more. Why? Because people repeat what we reward. The way to change your marriage isn't through criticizing what isn't done. The way we change our marriage is through rewarding what is done right. See, the apostle... Now, that's probably good advice. Uh, Um... Where does the Bible say this again? I know you're trying to get to a verse here, but let's see if that verse is saying this. So Paul had a really difficult church that he planted. It's called the Church of Corinth. Now, this is like the most dysfunctional church. I mean, like this church could be on Jerry Springer. I'm serious, man. All kinds of sex issues. and I mean, it, it, They had issues, man. 
And so Paul is writing letters to address the issues. But before he addresses the issues, he does something very brilliant. He focused on what was right. He focused on what was good within the church. So I'm going to go ahead and read this passage of Scripture to you. Oh, good. Uh, We're going to get a passage now rather than, uh, what, we got three verses, two out of context, half verses. uh As we close. And I believe if we will do this with one another, if we'll do this with our spouse, it will help be a catalyst for truly a happily ever after ending. Great. I'm glad you believe that. What makes you believe that again from the text itself? Because I don't recall 1 Corinthians actually dealing specifically with um, you know, applications to help us have a happily ever after marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Um, cue sappy music. Um, that's to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, has now descended upon the seeker-driven congregation in order to do business with people so that decisions can be made. Um, <laughs> I, I apologize. Normally this would be the sappy music. This is really sappy, sappy, sappy music. He's going for a Laugh line. I always thank God for you. Oh no! R- really, you're gonna you're gonna mock God's word this way. So he's reading God's word over the sappy um, princess love story um, music. In him, girl, you've been enriched in every way. I love to hear you speak, and in all your knowledge. This is horrifying. You don't lack anything. He will keep you strong to the end. God, who has called you, he's faithful. And for that, he gets applause. I'm sure that was entertaining. I'm horrified that that's what he's doing with God's word. What would happen? Oh, we can end the music now. I'm getting creeped out. What would happen if we would focus on the good our spouse does do? And we would re- yeah, let me read the opening to 1 Corinthians without the sappy music so you can see what's going on here. And you'll see from the context that this is not some model that's being put forward uh, to um, follow so that you can, you know, rough, uh, how do I say, iron out the, the rough portions of your marriage. That's not what's going on here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized into my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." You see the context of what's going on there? This isn't a passage about you know, some pattern that you need to follow to smooth over the rough patches in your marriage. No, this is something completely different. He's not rightly handling God's word, nor is he really interested in doing so. He's got a show to put on, laughter and applause to earn, to entertain people and make them feel like, They've had something relevant taught to them. You know, that other stuff that Paul was talking about, that's not relevant to these people. They want advice and tips that they can apply that will make their marriage better. They're not interested in sound biblical doctrine. They don't want to hear the folly of the cross. They need stuff that's going to make their lives easier and better, and they want it right now. And that's what um, Eric Lawson is giving them. 
but in so doing he's not giving them Christ. And two times in this sermon, he's taken passages that proclaim the gospel and he's used his exacto knife to cut out the gospel. Rather than preach it, rather than say it out loud, he made sure to omit it and delete it. This is utter blasphemy. Reward that. And we would celebrate that. I have a feeling that they would repeat the things we reward. We truly can't have a happily ever after ending if we will follow God's book and his plan. And yeah, um, you haven't actually demonstrated when we took the time to actually look at what God's book says. All of the passages that you quoted from his book um, weren't about uh, having a happily ever ma- after marriage. Why do you think that is? In his word to build a great romance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Done. So there you go. One of the most obnoxious sermons I've heard in a long time, but it was also utterly blasphemous. Blasphemous because the gospel got X'd out, and he tried to create the impression, false impression, that he was giving advice from God's word on how to have a happily ever after marriage. None of the passages that he was quoting from, not one of them, was that actually what the passage is about. This is what we call deception. Scratching itching ears, not teaching sound doctrine, doing the exact opposite of what pastors are called in God's word to be doing. And that, well, is very dangerous because the folks there, they're laughing up a storm. They thought he was funny. He was engaging. He was entertaining. They love that little piggy thing and the stand-up comedy routine. And all the while they're laughing, they're on their way to hell. And they're not hearing the truth. They're not being confronted with their sins nor are they hearing about the forgiveness and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious penal substitution of death on the cross for their sins. No, and not only that, they're being taught by example how to wrongly handle God's word rather than to rightly handle it and understand what God has really revealed there. Very dangerous and precarious indeed. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.